And so it's so often the case that the entrepreneur feels like the one asking, making the request, and, and the sub, I don't want to say subservient, but you know, the, the, the investor gets to call the shots. It's really not that way because without you there, they'll go find someone else, but they're really not valuable. Money on its own isn't valuable. I know that sounds weird, but it's money connected to an idea that becomes valuable. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey guys, we were super excited to connect with Seth Goldman for this conversation. Had a little fangirl moment. Um, He's the co-founder of Eat the Change, which is a new platform that is dedicated to foods that are better for us, but also better for the planet. Definitely not his first rodeo though. He is actually kind of like a founder's founder. Serial entrepreneur. He was behind Honest Tea, Beyond Meat, all that stuff that has kind of set the gold standard for better for you products. Eat the Change has some amazing mushroom products. So, of course, we were very excited to dive in. Anyway, have a listen and enjoy. Hey, guys. So, you may have figured out by now that Zoe and I are huge fans of functional mushrooms. And that's because their benefits are legit from increasing focus and concentration to helping you sleep and probably most importantly, providing incredible support for your immune system. And yes, that is actual science. You can check it out on our blog at earthandstar.com. But who doesn't need a little bit of extra immune support right now if we're being honest? But anyway, the most important thing for you to know actually is that you have to have these fabulous fungi in your system every day in order to reap the benefits. So Earth and Star, our new brand, is making it as easy as possible for you to get the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms every day. Like if you've got a serious cold brew habit, there's a can for that. If you love your afternoon matcha latte, then we've got you covered there. And if you're not like G-Love and you're not feeling the cold beverages, then how about a totally delicious dark chocolate bar that also helps you increase focus and concentration while satisfying your sweet tooth? And it pairs super well with red wine. So we at Earth and Star have created as many ways as possible to help you elevate your everyday routine because we are not asking you to add another pill or a powder to your very busy schedule of supplements. We just want it to be as easy and absolutely delicious as possible for you to get some mush love into your life. So check us out at earthandstar.com and get 15% off your first order with the code HTW. Seth Goldman, welcome. We are all uh, not even recovering. We're still suffering beverage business... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> members of the beverage business, but we're all uh, we're all at this point, you know, pioneers in our own way, and uh, we want to hear your story, even starting from the beginning, because it's an incredible story. And I feel, you know, we're we're very very honored to to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you guys. And, and I think the um, experience of being through the beverage business is so I won't say traumatic, but it's so ingrained that you you definitely have a kinship with anybody who's been in it. You know what they've had to deal with. And so uh, wonderful to connect with you guys. And of course, nice to hear that we are all mushroom field now as well. Yeah, so Honest Tea started in 1998, which, you know, um, for those keeping track at home, it's like 23 years ago. <laughs> and it really just started with this idea that there should be a less sweet drink out there. And, and though I had a lot of... Know, passion for the mission of what I hoped we could achieve in the beginning. It was just about making a less sweet drink with some organic ingredients in it. And you know, that initial traction we got as a less sweet drink, you know, evolved to become a totally organic line and then a totally fair trade certified line. And that tapped into these passions I mentioned around the mission and and uh, and, and grew it. You know, uh, we sold it at Coca-Cola in 2011, but kept with the enterprise through 2019. So 
And that really was because I believed, and I still believe in what the brand is about and what it aspires to do. And, and uh, I'm still a cheerleader for honesty. I'm still close with the folks who manage the brand out of Atlanta now. Um, but and, before and, you, before it was all of the, that it was, because you really yeah. were a pioneer. I mean, beyond, you know, even, you know, you're saying things like organic and fair trade and those things were not really buzzwords at all. So what was, what did you bring to the table in the first place? How was this like your initial, were you already an entrepreneur or was this yeah, something no. that you just had to do? I was really more of an activist. So, right. I was passionate about, I had worked on political campaigns. I had worked at nonprofits. So I was really passionate about change that I wanted to see happen. And uh, initially, I even you know, I was a government major in college. So I thought that was my path to impact and change. And I, you know, it wasn't like I had some disillusioning experience in politics. It just, it was, and I, you know, I uh, worked for a senator for two and a half years. I just saw it happening slowly. And I, I saw a lot of posturing without direct impact. And I, that helped made me feel like, boy, I'd love to find an arena where I could be more directly involved. And at business school, actually, was where I got exposed to this idea of mission-driven business. And so I came back to Bethesda, Maryland after I went to the Yale School of Management. And I worked in an investment company, a mutual fund company that was doing socially screened, environmentally screened investments. And that was good, but it was too passive because all... You know, we were just avoiding investing in certain things. I'm like, well, what if I want to create positive change? Where do I go for that? And that's where the idea of entrepreneurship really resonated with me. And so I was just looking for the right idea. And and you guys could appreciate some of the ideas I looked at but didn't pursue. Um, One idea was actually a a diagnostic um, for urinary tract infections, which, you know, kind of interesting idea, but uh, didn't, didn't, didn't sort of... Wake me up in the night. Things I'm super excited about. One was an idea about how help, uh, helping public schools raise money from their alumni. You know, just because I had seen what private schools can do. Uh, but uh, while I was kind of brainstorming all this, I just I, I gave a presentation uh, in New York City to a bunch of institutional investors. And after that presentation, I went for a run in Central Park. And after the run, I was thirsty, and I went to a beverage cooler. And I said, "This is what's missing. There's nothing here to drink." And I was with a friend. He was like, well, there's tons of things to drink. I said, they're all the same. They're all you know, either water or high fructose corn syrup and with different colors. <laughs> so um, this was, you know, that was where I said, I, I wanted, this is what I could do something about. And although I had no beverage experience in that, and that was kind of where my co-founder in the business, you know, was my professor from business school where we had talked about this idea. Wait, so in 1998, what was actually like the leading... God, I was like a freshman in college. What was the... Yeah. It was what like was Snapple, Snapple. Right? It was Snapple. Snapple. And Snapple had gained... All, it was actually it was Snapple and clearly Canadian, if you can believe. If you remember that. Right. And, oh, wow. and, I totally remember that. All they were were basically um, positioned... They were drinks with basically the same ingredients as soda, but just, you know, repositioned. So, you know, no fizz or clear or clear liquid. <laughs> <laughs> we all fell for that clearly Canadian bullshit. Right. Like, it's right. not soda. <laughs> yeah. And so this was meaningfully different. I mean, honesty, and they all had basically anywhere between six to seven calories, six to seven teaspoons of sugar per eight ounce serving. So when we came out at one teaspoon or two teaspoons serving, it was, it was meaningfully different. And, 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 and as you guys know, it, uh, that didn't mean it was automatically accepted. Like, it was like, okay. This is very not what I'm used to, and how do I, how do we make people used to that? So that was part of the, the fun and the challenge as well. How did you start actually making the product? Yeah, so we had well, this is funny. We made it in our kitchen, you know, up, you know, just like you'd make tea, and then you, you put in sugar and you cool it down. And, well, that works one bottle at a time. Then there was a question: Okay, well, well how do we scale this up? And, and I remember Barry, my co-founder, said, "Well, what could be so hard? You just..." Now, for making one bottle this way, we could make fifteen hundred bottles with more tea. <laughs> that that missed the fact that um, the filtration of tea leaves was uh, much harder at scale, and so we really struggled to figure that out. What we initially did was we had these um, bags that were like kind of like filters that you might use in a pool, like uh, you know if you were cleaning it up or an oil spill, and we put tea leaves in there and then dunked that in tanks, and and it. it worked enough, but you know, you'd have like an inch and a half of sediment of tea leaves at the bottom of the bottle. 
the, it was really inconsistent, but it, it was enough to get us up and running. And, uh, and we just kept innovating. And I, 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 by the way, this, hopefully this will be a theme for this whole conversation, which is you never can stop innovating, even with your own product. You've always got to continue to iterate and improve as you go. And certainly when we get to talking about Beyond Meat, you know, that's a big theme there as well. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Um, I think that's something we certainly learned, you know, the hard way, but I think employ to this day now is that it's really never finished. Um, it can't be. I think, you know, it's one of Zoe's favorite pieces of advice is, you know, there's always a, it's all, there's a first draft for everything. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but okay. So, so I know there's so many areas to cover, but um, so take us to, you got involved with Beyond Meat or Beyond and yeah. before you got involved with, before you created your own product. So you've kind of bounced between founder and then board member and chairman and back to founder and... <laughs> Right? Is that well? So, so honesty went from 1998 through 2008. I was pretty much only focused on honesty. I did join the board of a startup, uh, which became Happy Baby, um, and so that was a wonderful, inspiring example of, of, of two women bringing a passion to, to to scale. And so that was great. But I was, re- you know, mostly focused on honesty. And then once Coca Cola became an investor in honesty, it gave me enough. It freed me up enough to start thinking about what else I was interested in and where could I think about impact. And um, actually then Happy Baby sold to Danone. And so I transitioned off the board. And it was just at that moment that I said, I think I'm ready to you know, either join a board or think about something new. And my wife came across this article. Uh, this was in 2012 about this company starting up called Beyond Meat that was trying to replicate the taste and texture of meat using only plants. And so I literally just sent an email to info at beyondmeat.com and said, Hey, wow. you know, I love the sound of what you're doing. And one reason I love this is because my family's vegetarian and we are frequently disappointed with the meat substitutes out there. And if there's any way I can help, and it, I had just written this book about the experience of building honesty, you know, if there's any way I can help, I've, I've learned a lot. I'd love to you know, help you avoid my mistakes. And, uh, the company needed help, and and so I got a nice email back from the, the, the CEO, Ethan Brown, and got to meet him. And you know, we we hit it off right away. And I joined the board, and then we got into a regular cadence of um, one thing that I do with companies I'm involved in, sort of have a weekly call. So every Friday we check in and go through stuff. And what we found is that those calls were running long. And then he said, "Let's go. Let's try to do this every other day," which we started doing. And then it's like, boy, this, you know, this, this company's growing. It's becoming more complex. So you know, can you get more involved? And I'm very fortunate you know, that Coca-Cola was permissive. They basically let me go halftime at Honest Tea and halftime with Beyond Meat. And that's when I really got under the hood you know, as executive chairman. We took the business. When I joined the board, there was, the company was doing less than a million dollars in sales. Of course, you know, today, I guess, reported earnings. It's over $400 million in sales you know, growing. So... It's grown a lot, uh, but there was a lot of steps along the way with fundraising, financing, growth, marketing. I mean, all, all the. Uh, but it, it was a what was so neat about, and is still so neat about. Um, I I thought, and I, I'm sure you guys can identify with. So I thought there's never going to be a business I could be as passionate about as I am about honesty because it's the fulfillment of all I care about. And so getting involved with Beyond Meat, I realized, yeah, I. I love what it stands for, the work and the impact. I'm as proud of it as I am of honesty. Uh, and so I guess it's a little bit like having kids. Like you, you have a kid, you can't imagine loving anything more. And you have another kid and it does, without detracting any of the love from the first kid, you love the second one, like in a way you could never imagine. And, and so, you know, there, there isn't a limit to, 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 to love or passion if it, if it connects with you the right way. And of course, now we have, uh, Eat the Change and, and also this new re- enterprise, Planet Burger, which is our the restaurants we launched in. So I feel really lucky to find. And, and I still have my three kids. Now you have like seven kids. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Okay. So I'm curious about Beyond Meat because I'm, well, how long have you been a vegetarian? So this is fun. I've been vegetarian for 15 years, but we've only been vegan. We went vegan in January of 2020, which, by the way, I, I, did not plan it. And I definitely don't take any, you know, I, I didn't wish the pandemic or anything, but the, one of the best ways to cope with a pandemic for, as a family 
was being vegan. It just gave us like a, a different way to kind of think about ourselves and to live. And, and it really was very therapeutic to go through that whole thing and feel sort of a little more in balance and a little more in sync, especially as you sort of, you know, I think what the pandemic manifested was all, how all the decisions we make are connected around yeah. the world, right? The you know, what somebody's doing. Yeah. And so it just, felt, well, look, we can't change what happened. And, uh, but at least we can feel like what the way we're living is, is closer in harmony to the planet. Did you, I mean, did you do it primarily for the environmental benefit or for the health reasons or both or? You know, I think all of the above. I had um, certainly with Beyond Meat been exposed to, you know, all the advantages of, of a plant-based lifestyle. What did it was our middle son, we went and watched the, game, the movie Game Changers. And our middle son said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this in January of 2020. So I'm going to just uh, try being vegan for January. And we said, well, let's do it as a family. And then we're like, all right, you know, we're good. Let's keep going. And, and by then it, it really uh, got ingrained. And we realized it's not, we didn't feel like this is a sacrifice. We didn't feel like uh, we're suffering. Well, in fact, you know, we're all, we all do types of athletic stuff. And I was recovering more quickly from my workouts. I was, my wife was, who, who had been a baker had, you know, been reluctant, started finding amazing substitutes and really creative ways. And, and the food was actually getting more delicious. So we're like, Let's just keep going. Mm. Yeah. Can we, yeah. It's a very interesting experience. Congratulations. I'm, very, <laughs> I'm always very curious whether someone is yeah, doing Yeah. And, you know, I, I, my only um, ambivalence is like, I don't, so we don't want, we hope we never are preaching about it. You know, like that's, if you look at all the businesses I'm involved with, we meticulously avoid being preachy or judgmental about it. We really do. And because everyone's on their own path, everyone has to make their own choices. And, and so I don't want to sound, it, there's that joke, how do you know if someone, how can you tell if someone's vegan? So you don't have to tell, they'll, they'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I only respond because you asked, but I, um, I will say that for us, it's just been a really positive experience. Yeah. I mean, I, you're talking to a former raw foodist, so I feel like... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it can get a little... Uh, yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Um, okay. So, Erica, what are you, you're going to Well, ask? I was going to ask a, a question that kind of goes a little bit on the tangent, more of like the big picture, just because... I mean, you speak obviously, you know, very passionately about all of these these businesses and 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 missions that you've been involved in, and I think it, it can't it can't go without addressing that you know something. For example, like Eat the Change, which is the mushroom company, which we'll get to and, and get into that. Yeah. Um, but on its face, is very different than something like Beyond Meat. Yeah. And look, I'm a fan of the Beyond products. I'm not a full veg. I eat, you know, I eat fish and occasionally a little yeah. bit of meat. But I think that it's a great option for people, especially who are, you know, veg curious and not really sure that they can abandon because the, just the, the taste experience is all so yeah. so, you know, similar. But there's some haters out there. It's you know, it's it's not a health product. We'll say that it's it's not. It doesn't necessarily seem like it checks. The same boxes, and yeah. again, if we're talking about environmental impact, that's one thing. But yeah. how do you reconcile those those pieces? Because there's like different ethos attached to each of these businesses. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is our food system is tremendously horrifically screwed up. Like it's 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 in a very bad way. So there's not one path to fixing it. It's totally you know it's totally imbalanced. It's not it, it, not just in terms of our health, but in terms of the impact on the planet. And so it's going to take lots of different approaches to get us away from where we are. And so, um, you know, meat is by far the largest category in food. And it's um, by far the one that has the largest footprint uh, environmentally. So um, we can't, we're certainly not going to get there on, you know, only feeding people pasture. The answer is not to switch all meat from CAFOs, you know, commercial feedlots to the, the, the you know the the one to two percent of meat that is pasture raised you know done really in biodynamically that's just not a there's not enough land to to do that so we have to move people to um, options that are more sustainable and when you look at the Beyond Burger which uses ninety nine percent less water and ninety three percent less land and creates ninety percent fewer greenhouse gases that's a huge stride and step away 
that is, you know, some people will talk about that as a process and can certainly have the debate about that process versus the process used to create animal-based meat. But the, that's in real contrast to what we're doing at Eat to Change, where the process is picking mushrooms, marinating them, and basically drying them out. Uh, you know, that's a much lighter from a process perspective. That said, it's, it's what, you know, the mushroom jerky as an example isn't going to replace what's at the center of a plate. Um, so you really need multiple approaches here. And I, I in my own life, am, I, I absolutely embrace both Beyond Meat and what we do at Eat the Change. Uh, and I, I don't lose, I don't wake up in the middle of the night you know, feeling ambivalent about either one. I, I, those are, can absolutely be done in, in balance. So I, I think the, uh, my biggest sort of mindset is that there's no one approach that's going to fix everything. There's no one approach that has all the answers or is all right. But whatever we can do that is a step in the right direction is, is better than where we are. Agreed. But- yeah, no, that's all very good points. It's just not, there's not one answer. Or is there? Isn't it just mushrooms? <laughs> is mushrooms, it mushrooms? Mushrooms is an awfully good place to start. Yeah. Kind of solving like every problem. If we need to yeah. find more land, let's have the mushrooms collect, you know, eat up the landfills. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of insane, right? I love this, uh, the stories I'm sure you guys have read, whether it's Entangled Life or the other, you know, stories just about the wood wide web and mushrooms are kind of, you know, calling the, they kind of run the world and, and we're just sort of following our. <laughs> yeah. But I've also read a lot recently about mushrooms in the gut biome, which is really neat, you know, that um, because they are, are, they can really enhance what happens in our guts and gut health is such a key to, to um, overall health. They are prebiotic. Yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. I know they, they really do answer so many things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, why um, is there a way to, apply, I mean, can, can you apply mushrooms to just beyond meat? Can we have some? Yes. Yes. I mean, there are some, some texture um, uh, opportunities with beyond meat, but, um, but mushrooms actually don't have that much protein. So, so beyond meat is primarily focused on, um, substituting animal-based protein with plant-based protein. And so mushrooms, while they have you know, amazing levels of B2, B3, and a lot of other really uh, unique uh, nutrients, they aren't going to be a perfect substitute for animal-based meat. And, and so what Beyond Meat is really trying to do is be that substitute, not just for taste, texture, aroma, uh, but also around the nutrition profile. Because like you say, there's going to and there, there are going to be people criticizing from all angles, and 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 the health one is real. That if you know someone expects they're buying a burger or for their family because they want to provide certain key nutrients, you know, the Beyond Burger has to deliver uh, those same nutrients to, to to play that role. Otherwise, if you give someone a, a skeptic uh, uh, an excuse not to take the product, they'll they'll, they'll that excuse. And that was one reason that. Uh, the movie Game Changers was so powerful was because it showed athletes in particular who perform at the world's highest level and all on a plant-based diet. Yeah, that was fascinating. I mean, this is like the funniest question I would always get as a raw foodist and a vegetarian, um, which is just, you know, where do you get your protein? Uh, you know, the, the, question, the question was, where do you get your protein? And, you know, you see a movie like Game Changer. I just, I thought that was such a great, like, finally, can somebody just answer this question in a way that is like very thorough? Um, but but yeah. it's like, how, how often do we hear of people having a protein shortage? I mean, it's like, we just go over, I mean, we just, it's like, we need iron, you know, we're lacking in iron, yeah. but it's like, nobody's dropping from a protein deficiency. Um, anyway, <laughs> right. silly. Um but so what, I mean, what do you think the biggest challenge is for Beyond Meat as a, as a business? Well, you know, it's, yeah. So one of the things that I uh, most impressed with, and this goes back to my earlier comment, is they just keep innovating. And so where the challenges had been, you know, first it was taste, and then it was aroma, and then it was texture, and then it was, you know, color transformation. All of these things, they keep iterating to improve the latest version of the Beyond Burger that we just announced really in the past. The weeks was a, a, um, around enhancing the nutritional profile, so less saturated fat, more vitamin D12. Um, and one of the things that's so neat about 
that whole dynamic is, you know, what, what is the cow been doing all this time? Cow's just standing still, you know, <laughs> literally. And so, um, you know, what we know is that the target, which we're trying to match, will actually be able to not just match, will be able to pass. surpass. And so there will be a point which will be, you know, not just in our lifetimes, but really within the next five years where uh, a plant-based offering will be equal to or better than the uh, animal analog around taste and nutrition, around uh, texture and sensory aspects. It's already superior in environmental impact. And, and so, and then the, the, the kind of the next step is to actually be advantaged with respect to price. So you get to a point not too far away where someone will say, well, right now the question is, people say, well, why do I need plant-based protein? There will be a point not too far away where people say, wait, why do I need animal-based protein? If, if the plant-based product is better on all these indicators, what's the point of you know harvesting, raising and harvesting um, billions of sentient creatures? You know, I, I don't need to do that to meet my dietary needs, to have delicious food. That's going to be a really uh, exciting and really transformational book. Yeah, I'm curious too how, and I think we have this problem as well, uh, when you're dealing with a product that, you know, the promise is more long-term health benefits, right? Not just health benefits for you potentially, but healthier for the environment. Like Getting pe- people to care about the future is very challenging. Yeah. We have, you know, we have our own... No, market. that's not the way to sell it. No, so so this is the funny. Yeah, thing. yeah okay, go on. So how do, how do you sell it? Yeah, no, the way to sell it is just to make it uh, to make sure it's delicious, and then make it going back to what we talked about with our mushroom farm. Make it popular, make it attractive. You know, so so having ambassadors like we do, whether it's Snoop Dogg or DeAndre Hopkins or the latest, you know, Kim Kardashian, you know, uh, sharing her recipe for Beyond Tacos, like. These mainstream cultural people who, you know, are in no way the first names. When you, when you come up with a list of who are the, the vegans, you know, or the vegetarians, those folks aren't on the list, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so just making it part of mainstream culture. And then what is, you know, we've also talked about that's scheduled to happen over the next few months, launching, you know, Beyond Meat offerings and McDonald's and then the Yum! brands, um, you know, um, Taco Bell and KFC and Pizza Hut, all of a sudden, now these are mainstream. This isn't just the niche. This isn't where the raw foodies go. It's where people, everyday families go. And this is what we saw with Honest Tea. You know, we put Honest Kids, our organic kids drink, and McDonald's. And I can guarantee you there were not many people who said, oh, I want an organic drink. Let's go to McDonald's. They said, hey, we need to eat and drink. Let's go to McDonald's. Oh, here's an organic product that just happens to be in our Happy Meal as the default offering. That's that's how you make these products democratized. Um, but do you think that that's a an act like it has to be a phased approach? Because we often talk about you know the stage that we're at right now. Functional mushrooms are definitely still very much you know rooted in the wellness community with yeah, some little yeah. tendrils kind of starting to you know creep through. Yeah, but we're kind of of the mind like, do you go to your point? Like, do you go where the, the, your people are not and then give them something that is sort of surprise and delight that they can easily make that switch? Or do yeah. you go first where your people are and then hope that it kind of like, there's a ripple effect yeah. after that? Well, there's no question your, your people, however we define that, are going to be the best promoters initially. And so you want your people to be so passionate about it that they will really uh, create a pressure um, for others to follow. I love this. There's a phrase, uh, I think it was initially um, from by Rose Mercario, who was the CEO of Patagonia, which is, you want to create enough pressure so that your competitors feel pressure to follow. They have to follow you in order to be rel- continue to be relevant. So can you get people so excited about what you're doing that... And look, you know, the, there was no market research, but when McDonald's first took on um, Honest Kids, there was no market research saying uh, organic kids' drinks are going to do great at McDonald's. It was more that they saw the trends. They, want, they saw parents concerned about health and wellness. They saw pressure around calories to lower the calorie count. I mean, I guess you could say they did see the product doing well at Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and Subway. So, um, But nonetheless, they, they made the decision because they said, this is what we need to do to be relevant to our consumer. And so if you see a lot of consumer passion for what you're doing, 
other customers will, will get on board. And I think, you know, uh, the idea of being light on the pressure. So, you know, if we talk about your drinks, if, if, if it's getting a mushroom, getting a large coffee chain to include a mushroom infusion, you know, um, that someone that isn't a product that order, that tastes delicious and it's, it's non-threatening. Right. Uh, expecting someone to go from zero to, oh, I want a mushroom-based latte. They haven't had any context. That's, that's, that's obviously a formula. So finding ways to sort of be a little more subtle or, or, or you know, let's, um, kind of sneak up on a, a more sustainable way to do it. Is Burger King still doing the Impossible Burger? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I was always now. team beyond, just so you know. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> so let's talk about Eat the Change. Sure. Yeah. Like my mushrooms. So, yeah. So this came about, um, well, you know, we have these restaurants called Planet Burger and we are, um, uh, we were buying mushroom, we were offering a mushroom uh, bacon barbecue burger. The Planet Burger is, is all plant-based. And so... Um, and where are those restaurants? Uh, all in the Mid-Atlantic, all Pennsylvania, D.C., um, in Maryland. Yeah, eight, we have eight of them now and we'll have probably three or four more in the next few months here. Um, but I, as I got involved as a co-founder and I said to the, the, the chefs and the founders, I said, let's go visit this mushroom farm I know in Pennsylvania. I, I was on the board of Pennsylvania Certified Organic as it got started. And so got to know these mushroom farmers. And I said, let's, let's make sure we can source you know, organic mushrooms. And then we had this wonderful visit on the farm and got to see all the different ways they were producing and, and one insight we got that helped plant a burger was they we visited where the mush the oyster mushrooms were grown, and oyster mushrooms these beautiful yellow mushrooms. But the fruiting body of the oyster mushroom was actually just being put into the compost bin. This is kind of big bulbous thing. I said, "Wow, that looks like it's really nutrient rich." Can you do anything with it? And our host said, "Oh, yeah, no, I can. I take it home and sort of I can make it a. I think she called it a poor man's crab cake." I'm like, "What?" And yeah. then we're like, "Let's take that." And we brought it home and we made it into what has become the crispy chicken fungi, which is a, our version of a chicken sandwich, uh, which is delicious. But it also helped me appreciate that our chef, Spike Nettleson, is really creative and um, could do a lot with mushrooms. And, and, I, and so we also brought home just tons of different mushrooms from the farm. And I said, see what you can come up with in terms of snack. And, um, and so... Um, he came up with some great ideas. And then I, I didn't have the, the phrase eat the change, but over at Planet Burger, my um, son is in charge of the marketing. And he came up with this phrase, eat the change you wish to see in the world, which of course is an echo of the phrase attributed to Gandhi. And I said, wow, that's, that's a great call to action because it, it really makes it clear that what you choose to eat does make a difference. And that if you want to make a change in the world, you've got to change your diet. And so I thought eat the change would be a great brand name. And then Spike would be a great co-founder with his creativity. And what I realized was that by calling this product Eat the Change, and I, and I also resolved after having sort of been through enough businesses, like I was going to start with the mission intact from the start. So we created these guardrails. It's only going to be organic. We could only focus on uh, nutrient-dense foods. We would only, um, wherever possible, look for uh, up, you know, um, taking imperfect foods. And so all, those things, all of those criteria, none of them talks about taste. So I needed a co-founder who can really drive home taste and chef and spike is a wonderfully creative chef and so we talk about chef crafted planet-based food and and so our first product is this mushroom jerky and um we were able to dry flavor it mushrooms dry them out but we realized to give it that extra touch we brought it to a smoking house the same kind of smokehouse that would work with beef jerky mm-hmm. and that imparts this really uh, complex but delicious flavor to it Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how the jerky came about. And we're already working on successive products. They won't all be mushroom-based. They'll be you know, other products that also use potential food waste and makes it into something delicious. So it's not specifically a mushroom company. So exactly. much as it's right, yeah. planet-based. But we still love mushrooms and we'll, we have other ideas there too. <laughs> hmm. Should we swap? A <laughs> <laughs> little idea swap? Um, yeah. Wow, you have a lot of stuff going on. Well, it's fun. So, so um, one thing is, my our sons are all out of. They are not all out of the house. They've all, you know, they're all out in the world. So we do have more time. And this is what I. This for me is. This is both my 
extracurricular activity because I just love the creativity, but it's also my full-time work because I love the, 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 the challenge, the you know creative and academic challenge, and it is kind of my advocacy work. So it's a nice, it's a nice way to roll out everything I, I'm passionate about into to one thing. Yeah, you're checking a lot of boxes for sure. So can you give just some, I mean, it sounds like you've obviously not, I mean, I don't assume this is all just smooth sailing and you've created all these amazing businesses and not hit any kind of like bump in the road. Yeah. If you've been through the beverage business, you know, by definition, that's, <laughs> it's a bumpy, bumpy road. It's always bumpy. Yeah. I guess just maybe, maybe pick what, maybe honest too. I mean, I'm just curious, like what was your sort of like biggest learning or biggest challenge in that? And how did you, how did yeah. you? Yeah, the six longest years of my life were the years at Honesty where we owned uh, a third of a bottling plant. And so all the things that can go wrong. And, and you know, look, you're making a bottling plant makes mil- hundreds of thousands or millions of individual things, that, you know, uh, in its work. And that means there's millions of opportunities for things to go wrong. And they sure did. Um, so I, the, the most painful part about that whole experience was it just wasn't what I was passionate about. So I'd come down and we'd figure out, oh, how do we fix these change parts? What do we do about this water filtration issue? What do we do about this employee? All these things that uh, are just part of what you need to, to run a good manufacturing business. But it wasn't anything about how do you build a, an impactful brand? How do you source in a way that supports farmers in the developing world? And so uh, it was, and it was, the plant was about four hours away from where I live. So I was spending tons of time driving or try to go, you know, leave at four in the morning. I tried to be back by 10 in the evening. And it was just long, grueling days of um, doing work that I wasn't, I wasn't particularly good at. I wasn't passionate about. And it was only when I, when we, uh, divested of the bottling plant that kind of got three, like a weight got lifted and I literally could start soaring, building the things I care about. So the important learning was you really got to make sure you are um, doing the work you care about and that you're good at. And 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 doesn't mean, look, I, I've never been <laughs> passionate about accounting and, I, and, and I'm, I'm not great at it, but I sure pay attention to it when I'm running a business. But I, I'm fortunate I don't do that every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Just going to say, we were talking about this a little bit earlier today as well, and we, we talk about it a lot, but just the, I mean, we're all kind of, you know, we're, we're to some degree, we are, we're, we're pioneers, we're dinosaurs, whatever word you want to use, but we've been in this business for a long time. Yeah. And uh, we, I mean, we certainly feel like we've seen the landscape of just the wellness business and CPG, which kind of go hand in hand, at least yeah. in our world, uh, just changed so dramatically from yeah. the moment that we started when, you know, there was no such thing as like a direct-to-consumer business, you know, or yeah. food direct-to-consumer food business to where we are now. Um, and I think, you know, we have our own opinions on on things that have changed for the better and things that may have gotten a little bit, you know, lost in the shuffle. Um, I'm just curious for your your take on that and, and what yeah. you see it. Well, it's certainly more expensive to launch a business. I, I think, you know, I, from what I know of your guys' story, we, we both bootstrapped um, our businesses in a way, you know, um, you just can't do that these uh, days, partially because there's so much more competition, there's so much more money involved, uh, and there's more, I don't know, um, folks taking a, a bite out of you along the way. <laughs> so um, so that's, that is a challenge. But I do think... What's exciting is that I still think there's never been more opportunity. Like you go back to think about where we were launching Honest Tea. The main thing was just a less sweet drink. And, and of course, today that sounds like, well, that's not very complex. <laughs> but at the time it was, you know. And what's so neat to see now is all the different levels of intricacies and innovation happening. And, and of course, not everyone's going to succeed. But um, the, what's clear is that the consumer, the customers, the buyers, are ready and receptive to these changes in a way they weren't before. I mean, you guys were one of the first to do cold pressed juice, you know, and that was a whole new field that didn't exist before. And, and of course, now people see it everywhere. So, um, and now it's all the different varieties. So, to me, it's what's exciting is the the, the um, panorama of innovations going on. Um, um, I think that's good, and I also um, 
I, I think there's still a challenge we, our industry faces around access to capital. You know, um, it is still racially diverse. It's still not economically diverse. And you know, we're, we're, I know certainly I've been, my wife and I've been investing a lot of trying to support more entrepreneurs uh, from different backgrounds. But um, I think that's important to be, to really need a marketplace that's meeting all needs. You need more diversity in the entrepreneurs as well. Amen. Well, I know a couple women you can invest in. If you're looking Absolutely. for, if you're looking for yeah. a women's business, now, that's been another very interesting journey piece of this journey too so far is uh you know this this idea that it is so much more expensive to start any business now i mean it's just uh, it's almost unheard of to bootstrap something um we never raised any money for blueprint right so we know that and and this time around it's just been like um pretty daunting uh just the sort of soul destroying experience of going out and having to raise capital and sort of peddling our little you know probably like with our handout with the tin yeah so here's, here's an important way to flip that because it i i Please. i don't at all let's mean reframe that, it yeah it does need to be reframed you guys are the ones creating value and people have who have money it is a valuable thing they're providing and obviously that's why you're talking to them but they're not the ones creating something and so and i i don't mean to say this cavalierly but it if if they don't um, invest in you, nothing changes. Someone will invest in you, and think something will change. So you're kind of providing them the opportunity to actually do something meaningful with their money. It really is that way, and 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 so it's so often the case that the entrepreneur feels like the one asking, making the request, and, and the sub, I don't want to say subservient, but you know, the the, the investor gets to call the shots. It's really not that way because without you, they're They'll go find someone else, but they're really not valuable. Money on its own isn't valuable. I know that sounds weird, but it's money connected to an idea that becomes valuable. Not, I don't want you not saying you should be sounding arrogant, but you really are the ones providing that the value. And so um, I, I, I say this because I've been through now, literally, it's probably in the thousands of conversations with prospective investors. All, not all of whom, but many, most of whom said honesty wasn't as valuable as I thought it was. Said beyond me wasn't as valuable as I thought it was. And obviously we didn't come to terms with those folks. Yeah. Meanwhile, the folks who did say, okay, I'll give this a try, you know, and both of them, you know, did quite well. And so you just always have to believe in that. Value. That doesn't mean it should be totally disconnected from reality. You know, it has to be based on something. But, but, um, Never just because you're asking for something doesn't mean you're not the one who holds the power. I love that. Well, I don't feel very powerful. Oh no, it works. It works. I'm gonna try and remember that the next time. Yeah, and so so the, how do you change the dynamic? Well, part of it is you have to, you know, it's the supply and demand. If you're only talking to one investor and they can and they control the terms. If you're talking to 10 investors, then it's a marketplace and 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 you know the best. They should try to help convince you why they are more valuable, while their money is more valuable than somebody else's. What kind of partner they're going to be? Yeah, um, and, I, and I think that's just a uh, you know, it's funny. I I, I um, I'm a, a fan of uh, the New England Patriots, so we sort of love the story of Tom Brady, who was picked 199th in the draft. And there's a story of how he walked up to the owner of the Patriots, Bob Kraft, and who didn't know who he was. And he said, you know, I'm Tom Brady. I'm the best investment you've ever made. And, and you know, and of course, there's a, an error or a haughtiness to that. But, you know, he believed in himself and he was that way. And, and if you sort of have that mindset, like, if, if you invest, this is going to be the best investment you'll ever make. So, you know, I want it. This will be worth your while. Um, and of course, like I say, you, you can't be cocky about it. And I don't think anyone I've partnered with would call me cocky, but you just, you can't put yourself in that position that um, letting the investor call all the shots. That's, that's how, that's how good ideas and good companies and good entrepreneurs get, get sunk. And, and there have been meetings, you know, significant moments in our evolution where we had people trying to do that. We had one investor who presented us with this term sheet at honesty. And it seemed like a really positive term sheet, but 
um, there were all this language in there that, it, it, in retrospect, it was clear they were intending to replace the whole entrepreneur, replace the team. And 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 what you have to remember is you, uh, your business without you is is it's nothing at this stage. It's, it really is. Um, so don't ever let somebody you know just think that you know oh this company no no at some point hopefully it graduates and you're not as critical to what you're doing but you know the whole the the value is what is is the two of you and, and your vision and your ability you know we just wanted to ask you to come on this interview so we could get sort of a little pep talk that's real <laughs> that's my pep talk that's the whole point sorry you've been doing <laughs> it worked uh, you know what? I mean, well, that's why I'm so shocked when you say that you've been with, you know, honest for as long as you have. I mean, we're, to me, that's just like unheard of. The idea that anyone who invested in you to that extent would be say, hey, no, just continue staying at the helm. I mean, we were, we were acquired. And I mean, less than, you know, 18 months later, it was like, Everybody out. Yeah, terrible. Here. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, you know, uh, I, and I'm sure what, that's what happened with the brand, right? It, it, you know, as soon as you leave, you lose that fire. You lose the, 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 you know, someone else might own it, but the entrepreneur always owns the fire, always owns that vision. Yeah. And, and you can do your best to pass it on to people, but not when it's, um, when, when, the, when the enterprise doesn't recognize that. And I give Coca-Cola credit that they did recognize that, this is this is a brand that's not part of our normal DNA. You know, their approach to ingredients, their approach to the consumer, their approach to their supply chain, yeah. and and we can learn from them. And they did. And 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 I, you know, I'm still thankful that and and still proud of the what, what the brand stands for. And you know, it, it it hasn't grown in the same way that it did as an entrepreneurial brand. But part of that is scale. You know, because it got to a place, and but it is still out there around the world. And and. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's part of, um, in, in, and I'll go take this further. As I said, sometimes the investor, you know, controls deals. Sometimes the inquire, the acquirer, when they're buying a company, there too is an opportunity to say, you're providing a service. The reason they want to buy you is because you've created something valuable. And so they need to, um, how, how can they, what, how can they convince you they're the right partner to uphold those things you care about? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about the sort of Chibani approach where talking about incentivizing everyone to have, feel like they've all got skin in the game and everyone's got that fire? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You want everyone to feel a sense of ownership. I think one of the reasons the American economy with huge flaws, I think we can all understand and have a total, you know, <laughs> that 12, 24 hour podcast about the flaws. But one of the things is it does recognize the incentive everybody or desire everyone has to be an entrepreneur in some way themselves. And so giving people a uh, invest, you know, a sense of ownership is is why capitalism works. There's a lot of reasons why capitalism doesn't work. But ultimately rewarding people, giving them the chance to benefit from the the results of their work is what makes it exciting and compelling and, and despite its flaws, still the best economic approach to growing economy uh, in the world and in history. And do you do that in your business? Oh, yeah. Everyone, everyone, but well, the honesty beyond me and on, and keep the change, you know, are, are option holders. Uh, hold. And, and you know, look, one of the neatest parts about the beyond Meat IPO was that whether it was a, you know, um, somebody who was a, started as a sampler or, or a secretary, you know, came to the, to the IPO and celebrating not just because they, you know, all of a sudden were, had, you know, extra zeros in their bank account, but because this idea we had all worked so hard to build was arriving. And, and so money is by no, I, I certainly am not motivated by money the way other people are, but, but it is a one way to measure impact and scale. And, and so, you know, that an event like an IPO is a, it can be a meaningful landmark, um, presenting, you know, growth. Right. Yeah. Well, and especially when what you're actually putting out there is something that is meaningful and it is right. beneficial and it can have a positive impact and it's not, right. you know, a widget or e-cigarettes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, and that was what was so neat was right after the IPO for those months afterwards, I, I did a whole bunch of international travel for Beyond Pete. And every market I went to, whether it was Germany or Hong Kong, 
um, or Israel, like people had heard of it because of the IPL. So it had sort of elevated not just the visibility of the brand, but of the whole concept. Um, and so that, that was a transformational moment for, for not just the business, but for the category. Yeah. And, and how, how do you view, and I know we're running out of time, but sorry, I could just ask you a million questions. Um, how do you view competition in that, in that channel, in, in your industry, right? And so meat replacement. I mean, are you looking yeah. at... It's like rising tides sort of thing. It has to be. If we if we are, you know, currently um, it's a one point four trillion dollar category. This is meat worldwide. Um, the share of plant based meat is less than one percent. And if we are, if our goal is to, you know, own most of that market, we are totally missing the market. Shame on us. We should be saying one percent of this market is grow from one percent to go to thirteen percent. Obviously, we won't own all. What we really should be focused on is how do we make our products as, as good or better uh, and affordable and accessible um, as the rest of the market. And when, like, if we get to, if we can build this category so it represents 20% of, uh, if plant based meat represents 20% of the meat industry, then we can start worrying about competition. But for now, it's got to be, if, you, if, you, if there are other brands and if it's a Coke, Pepsi, and RZ Cola, whatever it is, that dynamic, that's fine. There aren't going to be 10 companies out there battling for this share. It's going to be a handful because the any case just doesn't... It's not like a, a beverage cooler can really only hold a few brands. A meat case can't. And so we have to make sure we are driving innovation and growing and always improving. Interesting. Noted. Uh, Erica, did you have uh, something? Sorry, I did not. I was just going to make closing remarks. But oh, okay. <laughs> by all means. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to say, but it's always, um, we always look forward to these conversations because we know we're going to take something really meaningful away from somebody in your position. And I think this is no exception. If anything, I feel like we've learned a lot more uh, just because there's so much similarity and, and crossover here. So just thank you is really all there is to say. This is inspiring and exciting for everybody. Thank you guys. Thanks for what you're doing and, and being on this journey. Uh, we are, we are kins, uh, kins people, I guess you'd say, but uh, we're also, you know, kins mushrooms. So, so I'd love to connect you to our supplier. And uh, I think it really is. Uh, and we just have to find ways to get people, it, it, whether it's what they're drinking, what they're eating, we have to shift people. And so but it takes all these different approaches that, to be partners with you guys. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank awesome. you so thank much, you so Seth. much, Seth. All right. Awesome. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800 800- or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking.